the happiest place on earth. Yeah. It isn't because Total Wine is the happiest place on earth. I can agree with that. Everybody's so cheerful in that bitch. Because wine and liquor makes Happiness. the sadness go away quicker. True. Oof, that's depressing. Wine and it rhymes. <laughs> Welcome to episode 87. Of the Pretty Witty Podcast. It's an interview. The Star Wars edition. I love saying that. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's just written in a way. It looks weird the way, you know, like some things look weird when it's written. Yeah. That one looks weird. But it's like fun to say. I like it. Say it once. I want to hear you say it I'm once. I'm not going to Can do you that. do it once, please? That's says something. A I'm Star not, Wars. Nope. Say a Star Wars. No. Please. Look at your little nose. <laughs> Jay's wearing eyelashes because we going out tonight. They're so heavy. Like we living in 1999 before like Prince? Y2K happened. I wish I could have gone to the clubs in the 90s. I bet you it was a lot of fun. I bet it was so much fun. Everybody was in there in like tracksuits. <laughs> From my mother's story, she had way too much fun. That's why I'm here. Aww. <laughs> No, don't say that. I used to like Keith Sweat a lot. Now I can't listen to it. I still listen to Keith Sweat. And every I time I do it. now, because you told me that story, I'm like, aw, this is what conceived Ashley. <laughs> and I hope you think the same of me if you ever hear Barry White. Oh. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Pat was getting down. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll slide right into then. Why did you say slide? That's last name. <laughs> Right, we got a lot. There's a lot that happened this week, but this not a lot really. Of shit going on. Does that make sense? It do. So first of all, cla- there's a class action lawsuit lawsuit that's focusing on the sweeping pay discrimination at Disney. Mm-hmm. So we are at the point where we're coming after the big dogs because mm-hmm. Disney is a very big dog Disney to come is after. Huge. It's the biggest. It's like ABC and Marvel and Disney. <laughs> not to mention ESPN and now Fox. Right. So, this is coming days after Disney closes Fox 2000, which is one of the production companies they acquired in the Disney-Fox merger, and it also happens to be one of the major production companies that focused on women-led and women-created films, which sucks. It sucks that they closed it. The woman that was overseeing it is now trying... They're going to pick her up somewhere, but it's like, ugh. It was just a good place where a lot of the movies that you have seen in the past that were women-centered, like um, Devil Wears Prada. Ugh, love. Or um, pretty much anything with Meryl Streep in it. Yeah. And um, Hidden Figures ugh, love. came from Fox 2000, <laughs> so it's really sad. However, this uh, class action lawsuit has been filed by LaRonda Rasmussen and Karen Moore, and they're representing all women employed at Walt Disney Studios in California since 2015. Oof. Rasmussen, a financial analyst for Disney, discovered in 2017 that she was earning between $16,000 and $40,000 less than six men. Excuse me? Yes, six men with the same job title as her. She was given a $25,000 raise, $25, raise in 2018, but she still made less than her male co workers per the suit. Around that time, two other women also received considerable raises, which the complaint interprets as the company becoming aware of systemic pay gap issues. Um, this is one of the things that is directly addressed in hashtag Time's Up, and I hope they win. Now, the, they, Disney got lawyers. so They got mad lawyers. They got mad lawyers, but if she was able to find a correlation to this, which that's a lot of money to not be paid yeah. with someone who has the same job title as you, and assuming you guys got the position as the same job title, similar experience and similar background in the position that you have, you should not be making a whole job's worth less than someone in that same that's counterpart. That's crazy. 40, 000, up to $40,000. That's really fucking sad. Really, really sad. I'm really disappointed in you, Disney. 
Before I talk about what I'm going to talk about, this champagne that we're drinking is named Rondell, and I just think that sounds like the name of a nigga. It, and this is one of those guys who, like, he pissed you off, mm-hmm. but then he, like, made you dinner. Right. And you guys didn't talk about the reason that he pissed you off. Right. But the dinner was but really everything's good. everything's fine now. And then he, like, lays down really good dick. Yeah. And then... You just forget about the yeah. next day. Yeah, and then the next the next weekend, same thing happens. Anyways, y'all buy this. <laughs> this bottle is blue. It's probably it's a actually Sigma. pretty good. It's um, it's like number. It is really. Speaking good. of total wine, it's their third ranked uh, bubble in the store. That's like affordable. It's a brute, but it tastes kind of sweet. It's pretty good. Which sounds like a Rondell. Mm-hmm. Right? Probably light skin too. Oh no, I don't fuck with those. <laughs> you do now. <laughs> <laughs> And T-Way. So previously we discussed the United States census and the potential of that new question, is this person a citizen of the United States? And all the implications of that question actually being in the census. Well, the census director don't want to talk about that question, Mm. which is hilarious. Nobody wants to talk about it. Census director. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Dillingham is the new director of the the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, and he's refusing to step into the controversy surrounding that question. But that's okay, because the Supreme Court would like to step into the controversy surrounding that question. (laughs) So after a bunch of states, cities, and counties were like, hell not, absolutely not, and filed lawsuits against the Census Bureau, the Supreme Court agreed to decide whether the Trump administration can add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. There used to be a citizenship question back in the 1950s when Jim Crow was still a thing. Um, just for reference, uh, the decision grants the administration's request for an immediate review of a lower court's ruling that stopped plans for that question. A hearing is expected to be held in April. Citing Census Bureau research, the group suing argued that asking about citizenship will depress census participation among households with non-citizens, and it could lead to an undercount of immigrants and communities of color, which would have major implications for the way political power and funding are shared over the next decade, which is all the shit we talked about when we talked about this. Um, the states joining the New York State Attorney's lawsuit filed in Manhattan uh, are Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Iowa, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New Mexico, North Carolina, Oregon, and Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington. The cities include two sites of the 2020 census uh, currently taking place in Rhode Island, Providence, and Central Falls, and then D.C., Chicago, Columbus, Ohio, New York, uh, Philly, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and San Francisco. And this is what surprised me, which is why I read this fucking list. <laughs> and California's Monterey County and three Texas counties, Cameron, El Paso, and Hidalgo, have also come on board to sue the Trump administration. Oh. So we got us a big old state, city, county class action lawsuit. Um, I'm not in love with our Supreme Court as they are right now. Right. <laughs> given that we got two kind of rapey dudes <laughs> and more Republicans than Democrats. But right. this is a fairly blatant attempt to force certain census results to underrepresent communities of color on a national scale so we'll see what happens <laughs> what if we could just get rid of white supremacy just for a day can you imagine what would my what would i do with my day without white supremacy i think without white supremacy i would go out with my friends in the skimpiest outfit as possible mm-hmm. yeah and get really, really, really wasted. I think I'd just, like, immediately ask for a raise. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Do I you know, know, right? 
<laughs> I feel like I could wear my hair just naturally. Just like however. Having to worry about anybody touching it or right. asking about it oh or pretending God, yeah. they don't they don't recognize me. I would go to a department store or a pharmacy and buy exactly my shade for less than like $44, which is how much I have to pay for foundation. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. That was a fun trip. It was. <laughs> Let's bring it back now. Okay. <laughs> um, Lucy Flores last week wrote a an essay that was published in The Cut, and it revealed during the 2014 campaign that the then vice president invaded her personal space by creeping up, creeping up behind her, planting a big slow kiss on the back of her head, and smelling oh, her hair. yuck. This is not the first time Biden has been inappropriate with women or girls, and it's usually dismissed to him being eccentric. Now, a lot of people are like, this is being blown out of proportion because they're relating it to the Me Too movement, but Lucy Flores has been, like, really, you know... Yeah. Staunch in that this has nothing to do with sexual assault. Nope. It just has a, uh, has to do with people being appropriate. Yeah. And, and you can find like super cuts on YouTube of the multiple times he's been inappropriate. And it's just weird. This, um, Lucy upends the script that women are expected to follow, one in which they must play defense against cynical, sexist attacks that insist women come forward against powerful men for fame or personal gain. Instead, Flores, a former candidate for Nevada's lieutenant governor, said she told her story at precisely this moment because Biden is now considering running for president. Addressing his behavior with women should be part of that vetting process. It is, in other words, absolutely political. Again, hashtag time's up. And she notes that this has nothing to do, like I just said, with the Me Too movement. And it doesn't. It's just a matter of adults learning how to be adults. I'm right. And we're at a time now where we can address these things because, listen, you men have been doing weird shit for the longest time without (laughs) any checks and balances. You men. (laughs) And now we get to have some checks and balances. I went on Facebook and just, like, did an experiment, like, a couple weeks back. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted... I had a conversation with a guy friend Mm -hmm. about the messages that I get from guys Mm -hmm. in my DMs or whatever after I politely ask them... or just I don't... I'm not interested or whatever. Like, if a guy completely messages and he's like, that's not a thing. He really didn't think it was a thing. So... He doesn't think it's a thing that men bother us? Not that they bother, but once they're, they're rejected... They just immediately fuck you, bitch. You're a dumbass cunt. You're not that cute, anyways. Right? Um, like, are just super aggressive. Right? And no matter even if it's in text, like, yeah, I'm, I don't trust no one. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just the weirdest thing because guys do that a lot. Yeah. So he didn't think Believe that, that happened a lot to women. So I just went on my Facebook and asked, like, Hey guys, has this ever happened to you? And mm-hmm. I described it, and I got like. 300 likes and um, 75 comments Mm -hmm. just about those experiences. And while most of them just stayed online, there were a few girls that I knew who were like, yeah, this guy, like, found me in person. Yeah. And that's where it gets scary. That's where inappropriate behavior can turn into something else. And that's what we're addressing here. It's like, it's you haven't done anything, but I don't fucking trust you guys. Like, if we look at the statistics of interpersonal violence or if we look at the statistics of men who are rejected hello half the shooters that we have in this Mm -hmm. country that go after women then we have a right to address inappropriate behavior especially if it's like we're in a professional setting why the fuck are you sniffing my hair and 
right. kissing the, the back of my head. Yeah. I would never want to invade a personal space. Like, just like with Beyonce and Omari Hartwick. Like, right, like, that was so awkward. <laughs> this is fucking hard to watch. Would you get the fuck away from me? And the problem is, And like, don't kiss her. T- the problem Niggas. is she looked clearly uncomfortable. Yeah. And for most women, we do. But yeah. you know what we have to do? We have to be polite. We have to, like, eat that shit. Yeah. Because otherwise Because we don't know what the fuck you're going right. to do afterwards. And stemming from the mass shootings that we've had of men who are incels and who are angry at women mm-hmm. who won't get anything And who murder women. To, yeah. We have a right to be. So yeah. I don't think this has anything to do with sexual assault, but I do think it's addressing an issue that you men need to have a conversation right. uh, about amongst that, yourself. There is no... <laughs> No one owes you anything. No one owes you attention. No one owes you a conversation. Nobody owes you engagement. Like, just pick up your ball and go home. Like, there is no reason to... I mean, just coming in my messages expecting anything from me, let alone something positive, is just really... It's just really too much for me. Yeah. You are so privileged and you believe that you deserve something that you do not. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Actually, let's not because you could get out of my DMs. Exactly. <laughs> and if I'm like, no, I'm not interested, just be like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, thanks. Talk to you later. Right. That's, that's it. it. That's, that's a nice fucking day. Right. That's, that's all you got to do. Man, save yourself the embarrassment because now I'm thinking you're a true loser mm-hmm. and you did this to yourself, bro. Yeah. But, but, you know, now you mad and I'm a bitch and I'm ugly anyway when 30 seconds ago you were describing your dick in detail to me. So decide which thing it is. So to bring it back, like, her <laughs> saying that she needs to address this because he is running for president. Absolutely. Because we have a president sitting in the White House right now who talked about grabbing people by the pussies. Right? And who does not give a fuck. And we should. Because mm-hmm. women aren't second class citizens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I read this interesting thing that I believed was interesting so I'm going to share it because I thought it was interesting (laughs) um so stress affects everybody although we can't eliminate stress entirely from our lives we can minimize it by choosing the least toxic situations possible and avoiding toxic situations when we can and thus and such American stress levels have been rising for many demographics since 2016 common stressors include the future of America money health insurance uh cost related to health insurance but not all demographics are affected in the same way for example millennials have the highest average levels of stress really surprise surprise right (laughs) but certain states have contributed more than others to elevating or decreasing stress um while it have compared 50 states across 40 key indicators of stress to determine places to avoid and achieve a more relaxing life the data set ranged from average hours worked per week to personal bankruptcy rates to um, how many adults get adequate sleep, all kinds of shit. And then it tallied up the total score. And the closer that the state is to 100 points, the more stressed out people in that state are um, compared to the rest of the country. Do you want to take a crack at what the most stressed out state was? I want to say New York. No. Is it California? It's next door. Is it... Wait, which state? Arizona? Louisiana. Oh. Is the most stressed out state. Really? Yeah. Um, they rank second in work-related stress. They oh. rank third in stress-related to finances. They rank seventh in stress-related to family and fourth in safety. Okay. Now that you're naming all these, this makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think I was thinking like New York or Cali because it's so expensive to live there. New York is right above Texas. New York is the 21st most stressful state to live in. Uh Texas is 22nd. Oh. Um, The most relaxing state to live in is Minnesota. 
I can imagine. Right. Because you're by some fucking lakes and right. the, it's nobody's moving out to. That's why Prince was out there for right. For like so long. you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go chill out somewhere. Let me relax. Also, in the places lake. you would imagine that are really close to the bottom, like Hawaii, in the waters of and Lake stuff are like less stressful. It is Minnesota. He was at right. I think so. Okay. Yeah, it is. It is. It is in the lake of. Lake Minnetonka. Um, I just like saying Minnetonka. I like Texas, so I'm just going to talk about that. Okay. Texas ranked fourth in the most average hours work per week after Alaska, North Dakota, and Wyoming. Ooh, interesting. Well, Alaska, like the jobs that they do have out there, they it's like a lot of manual labor. So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, lowest credit scores. We Texas didn't fall in there, but Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, Nevada. Absolutely not surprised. Yeah. They're very poor states. Least affordable housing. Here are your faves. Okay. Hawaii, Ooh. number one. Yeah. Cali, then New York, then Massachusetts, then Oregon. Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Who wants to go to racist-ass Boston? Right? Uh, Harvard, I guess. Uh, highest population living in poverty, Mississippi, then New Mexico, then Louisiana, then Kentucky, then Arkansas. I'm not surprised by these. Um, highest divorce rates. Ooh. The first one is a duh. Nevada. <laughs> Makes sense. Then Louisiana, then Florida, then Mississippi, then New Mexico. Hmm. Crime rate per capita. New Mexico is first. Kind of surprised me. I'm not surprised. Really? Yeah. Just to, like, whenever I go back home or whenever I go to, to Albuquerque, mm-hmm. like, the stories, like, the news and everything just is bad. Really? And it's just because, like, all of, because of New Mexico and the way it's structured and how poor the poor areas are, mm-hmm. There, if you need to get food, if you need to get anything, and mm-hmm. the drug issues that are in New Mexico, it's totally like it's a wow, it's a chas- chasm. So I'm surprised that place hasn't burned down yet. Ugh. That's part of the reason why Breaking Bad said the there. more you know with a little rainbow. <laughs> yeah, um, and then <laughs> fewest psychologists per capita. Oh, Mississippi. Oh, not surprised. Then Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> then Louisiana. Then Nevada. Then Arkansas. So we got to fix the South. Basically, if because we had everything done that else, during reconstruction, maybe we wouldn't be here. Like right all now. the other sides of that, highest job security, um, the lowest percentage of adults in poor health, most sleep per night, is all like Colorado appears on this side of the list like six times. Well, I imagine if your state's clean, you got money and you got weed, right? It should be nice. It's just expensive to live there too. Yeah. Hampshire, you know, typically, typically places where white people move to get away from black people. New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, Maine. Rhode Island, you know, they're happy, relaxed places. So good for them. Anyway. Good for them. Yeah. So we live in, you know, a middle state hmm. per stressed out I don't know how to feel that about that. I don't know either. <laughs> Rush intervention 2019. The bar brief was way too bar. Mm. Brief. <laughs> it was way too brief. It was way too bar. It was and way also way too brief. <laughs> so... When Attorney General William P. Barr released his four-page memo two weeks ago, opining that the evidence developed during the special counsel's investigation is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice offense, we already knew enough to be sure that Barr was spinning mm-hmm. the contents of the report his memo claimed to summarize, as multiple reports now say reports now say he do, mm-hmm. especially if he condensed a 400-page report down to a hundred, like, what is it, divided by a hundred times its size? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, there's also already public evidence at the time that undermined Barr's conclusions. Barr's letters may have been accurate, technically speaking, but based on what was omitted about two key associates of President Trump, his longtime advisor Roger Stone and his former campaign chairman Paul Manafort, it was obvious that the attorney general had left whole areas of the special counsel's Robert S. Mueller III's findings of the summary. That Mueller's team thinks that Barr made the investigation's findings look less damaging to Trump should not come as a surprise. No, it should not. Also, it should come as a surprise that Mueller did his work. He actually created a number of summaries based off the different portions of his report that he wanted to be read whenever mm-hmm. the report was supposed to be made public. They didn't read any of those. <laughs> and then also, for some reason, the Republicans keep blocking a resolution calling for the release of the Mueller report. I don't know why. That would be I can't, strange. can't really put my finger why on it. Why would that happen? I don't know why they wouldn't want us to know what's in the report. There if can't it, possibly be anything to hide. Especially if it completely exonerates President right? Trump. I don't know. It's Maybe just so they weird. just hate paper. I don't know. I'm going to keep going higher with my voice. Or the internet. <laughs> so that's also happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like everything <sighs> that's happening right now absolutely has to do with the first topic I'm going to talk about in our Pretty Petty Report. You know what I keep thinking during this entire, like, since maybe mid-2017? I keep thinking about, like, 20 years from now when I have teenage or young adult children Mm -hmm. and this whole era is going to be a political drama set in the past. And they're going to be directed by Ryan Murphy. And they're going to be like, Mom, you got to see this episode where there was this report that came out. And I'm going to be like, sweetie. Let me tell you a story. Right. <laughs> uh, and we'll go to Pretty Petty Report. So my first story is a metaphor for everything we just talked about. Ooh, I love metaphors. Let's talk about mounds and of And similes. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about mounds of shit. I hope that's metaphorical. It's, it's not. Oh. It's, this is literal. <laughs> oh, no. But it's like, it's like literal in the sense that we deserve this because of the, the metaphorical mountain of shit. That's happening in D.C. Is is there an actual pile of shit somewhere? There is an actual ton of shit. So. Okay. <laughs> USA, USA Today. Oh my God, I can't even talk. USA Today. I'm thinking about this pile of shit. USA Today. Reports, <laughs> they report that Alaska's Denali, the tallest mountain in North America, harbors 66 tons of frozen human shit left behind by decades worth of hikers. If you can. Is it together? Or separate. Uh, just all over that fucking mountain. <laughs> just all over the place. If you need to know, like, if you need to imagine, like, elephants are usually... Oh, my God. Okay, so, like, a ton is a thousand pounds. Right. Uh, think about a motorcycle with a sidecar. You know how they used to ride around in 1935? Yeah. So, that usually weighs about a ton. Yeah. So, imagine 66 of those just completely comprised of shit all over the mountain of Denali. And it's frozen. Why? Why are we talking about this? Well, why? That's a good question you asked, Jay. Let me tell you why. So, thanks to our shitty carbon footprint and global warming. Oh my god! And the metaphorical pieces of shit. Y'all mad at cows and y'all dropping trial and taking shits on mountains. (laughs) This glacier mountain is holding much of that shit. Is expected to start melting, potentially (gasps) creating a river of poop surfacing down farther down the mountain. Scientists expect this to melt. Have this melt to happen like within the next few decades. However, some speculate it could happen and start as soon as this summer. Oh 
Oh my god. How did this happen, you may ask? So apparently hikers have been aware of Denali's impending poop problem for like a while now. Um, and the shit's been amassing since the 70s. And not all of it is frozen anymore. So last year a hiker told The Verge that a campsite at 17,200 feet was like a cat box. But not with cat poop, with people poop. Which is much bigger and sometimes saucier. Yeah, and just like more germy in general. So I'd imagine hikers have been doing a better job about carrying them their shit with them back down. Good for them. Because we're doing this in 2019, that ain't gonna fix no shitty problem that we're facing. Whenever this shit really does start melting, and literally, I just want you to imagine. You guys remember Willy Wonka? Remember that river of chocolate? That's exactly what's gonna be happening in Alaska. This is exactly like so back in history when a bunch of diseases were starting in Europe and then spreading to the United, well, to what would become the United States of America and killing a bunch of people. It was because they never had a major city up till that point where they had people in close proximity to animals and then you ended up with like cow germs crossbred with people germs and literal shit flowing down the streets because they didn't have plumbing yet and then people got sick and died in mass because they all had e coli and then they came here and gave it to the native americans who died instantly because there wasn't no cows crossbreeding their germs with people that this is exactly that <laughs> i i imagine much like the lost city of pompeii what will happen when this stuff starts oh melting? Oh my god! <laughs> I just realized how unfunny Oregon Trail's dying of dysentery is because and this shit is about to happen. Again. I mean, we had a whole conversation a couple weeks ago about anti-vaxxing. If the time comes where you need to be vaccinated, it's when this shit starts to literally flow down the mountain. Mm-hmm. I almost mentioned in our update that woman that uh, is a flight attendant had a measles vaccine, like got a measles vaccine, got measles anyway from somebody that flew on the flight and is now quarantined because she has measles so bad and she's in critical condition. And she didn't, she got, she must have got the disease when she was in that like period. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, but she waited so long. I don't know. But I was just like, Please vex. We don't want. Well, we're really doing this. Game. If you guys are wondering where the shit mountain was, go to Alaska. Denali is it? You know, I had plans to go see the Northern Lights, but I guess I'll go to Canada. I guess you should. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> how can you follow that? Really? I, um, I mean, we're all. I mean, literally looking at the list, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Mine just has to be. Mine just happens to be a literary element of what's happening in our world right yeah. now and also a literal embodiment of the waste humans create okay yeah mine's metaphorical i suppose i guess okay uh do you know the name trisha newsom i do not okay good because we're gonna talk about the situation that she is in and that other people are in but she's the only one that's not a chicken fit all right and that up? is metaphorical what's up with trish okay So a small, let's call them a small army of whistleblowers from across the government have been working in secret with the House Oversight Committee to report alleged uh, malfeasance inside the Trump administration. Okay. Um, Lawmakers and aides are reluctant to discuss information that they have gotten from anonymous government tipsters for their protection. Uh, But the list of whistleblowers who either currently or previously worked in the Trump administration or who work closely with the administration is in the dozens. (laughs) Dozens. The dozens. Uh, Secret tipsters 
are not new. The Oversight Committee, like many committees in Congress, has a really long history of working with federal whistleblowers, regardless of which party's in charge. So, for example, uh, whistleblowers were crucial in that investigation in 2004 that exposed the military's cover-up of... Um, Pat Tillman, who was mm. the NFL star who died from friendly fire in Afghanistan. Yes. Uh, but committee veterans told a journalist at The Atlantic that the number of whistleblowers who have come forward since Trump became president is far higher <laughs> than the number who cooperated with the panel during any previous administration that they can think of. I'm not surprised because if anybody like has friends that are snitches, it absolutely has to be Donald right. Trump. It has to be. And... It's grown again since Democrats took the House. Ooh, white people do not respect each other at all. So the committee was receiving about three or four tips a week uh, before the November midterms. That has increased to an average of six to as many as 15 a week <laughs> in the months since. Oh, my gosh. So Democrats have began hearing from whistleblowers almost immediately after Trump was sworn in, uh, according to an aide, and also most of them are anonymous because duh. Uh, but all the way back to the first report that then National Security Advisor Michael Flynn was texting and taking phone calls during the inauguration with an undisclosed business partner, oh my which is some shit you're not supposed to be doing yeah. during the inauguration. <laughs> right. Anyway, Democrats have publicly confirmed that a handful uh, of people still work in the White House that they are getting these tips from. Okay. All but Trisha Newbold, who we will talk about, however, have come forward on the condition that they remain anonymous. So back to her. She has been an employee of the White House uh, Personnel Security Office for 18 years. The Oversight Committee disclosed this week that she agreed to publicly come forward, and she's the first to do so, to report uh, that senior officials have granted security clearances to 25 people that were denied security clearances. Okay. She told the committee in this day-long transcribed interview last month that she had repeatedly reported her concerns to superiors in the White House and got no results, and she was turning to Congress as her last hope for an independent investigation of this because national security is now at risk, because there's... <laughs> 25 people that shouldn't have security clearance that do now. Um, immediately after she came forward, though, retaliation started because, of course, it did. In October, she filed a complaint with the EEOC alleging that her boss, Carl Klein, would move security files to a higher shelf that she could not reach because she has a form of dwarfism. Wow. Wow. That's so fucked up. Right? <laughs> and in January, she was suspended without pay for two weeks after NBC News caught uh, wind of this report that Klein had approved a security clearance for Jared Kushner. Mm. So Democrats are trying to communicate that they're going to protect whistleblowers, but there's only so much you can do for a person that still works inside the administration. Right. Uh, and it makes it almost impossible to prosecute because you don't have any witnesses that are willing to come forward and say yes it was me and i was working there and here's what happened mm. so it's kind of a, a weird sticky situation we're hoping that more people like trisha newsom will come forward because they're just not with the shits anymore but it's a really tough situation for people that still work there um an aide said that an oversight committee <laughs> has never seen ever so much reporting of waste fraud and abuse <laughs> okay so that happened Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's really fucked up about putting shit on the higher shelf. This is so <laughs> fucked up. Isn't it? Yes. Um, I'm going to talk about something good. So mm. Okay, good. Not piles of I shit. I love good things. Most so, of the time. <laughs> the House renewed the Violence Against Women Act. 
on Thursday, um, and they just approved legislation reauthorizing it because it expired in, in February and no one did anything about it. So um, it includes added provisions expanding protections for transgender victims and restricting gun ownership. Come on now. The bill passed in the House 263 to 158 with three, 33 Republicans crossing the aisle and only one Democrat opposing, as reported by NPR. Mm-hmm. And in apparent deference to the NRA, the majority of the GOP won once again risks appearing to favor the rights of gun owners over the protection of victims of domestic and sexual violence, which is like, why would you choose that hill? I have no idea. The proposal to extend gun restrictions beyond those convicted of felony domestic abuse and stalking to include misdemeanor convictions was what got the NRA hot. The new provisions would also extend these protections to non-married women, closing what is commonly known as the boyfriend loophole. So, have you ever heard of the boyfriend loophole? I have not. Um, Basically, it adds those who have been accused of stalking, abusing, or assaulting a dating partner, as well as those subject to a court restraining order, to the list of people who could be barred from buying and owning firearms. (gasps) Why is this good? That's good person like for personal historical reasons for right me. and also like there are two well-known cases this year of shootings like uh the, the doctor at the hospital yep. whose boyfriend came and shot her after he she wouldn't get back with him mm-hmm. so like it was necessary um, multiple sources of research including data reported by the national domestic hotline indicate that the presence of a gun during a domestic violence incident is five times as likely to result in a woman's homicide Multiple amendments to the Violence Against Women Act bill offered by Republicans on Wednesday, however, sought to eliminate the gender identity and sexual orientation language, seeking to eliminate protections for trans women, who is obviously a marginalized group that Mm -hmm. suffer and die at highly disproportionate rates due to interpersonal violence. Um, I'm going to name names because y'all deserve to know. Mm -hmm. Representative Debbie Lesko, a Republican from Arizona, proposed amendments prohibiting shelters from giving access to transgender victims on the basis of putting women and children in situations where they have, quote, grounds to fear for a violation of privacy or for his or her safety, as well as an allowance for faith-based organizations to deny shelter to transgender people on religious grounds. Um, both amendments fail. Shut up, Bixby. Bixby really wants to talk to you. Um, on issues of transgender rights and gun control in relation to domestic violence, Democrats remain firm, especially in maintaining that the NRA has no right to dictate the terms of laws protecting women. So, mm-hmm. kind of proud of the party there. Mm-hmm. Like, they did some good work, and literally, it just expired, and no one was going to do anything about it because yep. Republicans did not want to care or stand up against the NRA. Mm-hmm. So, um, also, I don't know if you guys heard, but the NRA might cease to exist because they've lost so many donors. So, yep. there's that. That's exciting. <laughs> It's funny how, I mean, it's not funny. It's not funny, haha. It's funny, terrible. How um, Republicans in general don't care about anything that doesn't make them money or keep them money. Mm-hmm. So, ah, well. Okay, so, super fun topic. Uh, okay, so picture this mm-hmm. there is a person that is walking out of a grocery store and they have eco-friendly products and they're carrying them in an eco-friendly like canvas bag because they don't use plastic and uh, they care about the earth describe that person to me who is it what do you see the woman me (laughs) Um, okay uh probably someone who's like in their 20s maybe Mm -hmm. early 30s um might be a mom they're a young mom 
Probably not. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, Dr. Aaron Bro at Utah State University co-authored a paper with professors from four other universities to understand how gender norms affect sustainable decision-making. They found uh, there were data from seven experiments that included over 2,000 participants from the U.S. and China. And what they found, essentially, is that uh, caring for anything, environment included, is seen as feminine. Mm. So when men who to whom a, the appearance of masculinity is important just don't do it. Yeah. I know a very few of my male friends who recycle. Right. At the very least, recycle. Which <laughs> seems like such a weird... It's such a weird thing to not do because it's not masculine. Because it doesn't appear masculine or feminine on its face. Right. But that's precisely how unconscious bias works. I think it so goes back here to, you like, go. you know, masculinity also is related to, I'm going to say it, laziness. Okay. Like, a lot of people who, like, I can think of who stress masculinity also think of, like, cutting curbs. Mm-hmm. And so, like, recycling is an extra thing you have to do. Like, sorting your laundry into colors and whites is an extra thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Many people that I know that subscribe to the traditional ideals of masculinity don't take an extra step mm-hmm. to do things. And I don't know if that's masculinity mm-hmm. or just men. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't... I think like, for me, I, I, I compare it in... So, like, the idea of caring for anything, caring for a baby, caring for old people, caring for another person, caring for the environment, caring for your your surroundings is, quote-unquote, feminine because men that are, like, cishet like to take on this persona of not caring about something because right. it makes that means that they're not vulnerable in any way. Maybe, you know, I kind of want to take back what I said because mm-hmm. maybe it's not masculinity. But I know a lot of people my age who just won't go the extra step to do shit. And so, like, for example, I I don't have a recycling bin in my new home mm-hmm. that I've, well, not new. I've been here for, like, over a year. Mm-hmm. But in the place that I live out and live now, they don't have a recycling space, mm-hmm. unlike places I've lived before. So I literally have to, like, pack up my recycling and drive it yeah. to somewhere and toss it correctly. Right. And the people that I've told that are like, oh, you do that? Like, girls would be like, oh, that's really neat. Mm -hmm. Guys would be like, why the fuck would you take all the time to do that? Right. And I'm like, because I want to live on this planet. Right. Because I can't fucking afford to move to Mars. (laughs) I don't, I get paid 67 cents on the dollar for what you get paid. So when it's time for you to go to Mars, I ain't got the cash for it, bitch. So that's just my observation. That is not a commentary on a group as a whole. Well, (laughs) I'm about to comment on the group as a whole. Okay. So... Both men and women associated, in the study, both men and women associated doing something good for the environment with being, quote unquote, more feminine. And when men's gender identity was threatened, they tried to reassert their masculinity through environmentally damaging choices, which is just like the opposite direction. Is there like an example? There are many. Oh, okay. (laughs) So the report states that men may be motivated to avoid or even oppose green behaviors in order to safeguard their gender identity. Woo the dumb. So here are some things that they actually... (laughs) Uh, some experiments that they actually did. Um, let me start at the top. Okay. Um, both men and women were asked to recall a time when they did something good or bad for the environment. Those who recalled having done something good for the environment rated themselves as feminine, rather than those who recalled having done something bad for the environment. One might expect this type of gender stereotyping around green behavior to happen only when someone is concerned about how they appear to other people, but even upon self-evaluation, 
that judged uh, themselves feminine when acting responsibly toward the environment. This experiment shows how deeply held this bias is. Here's another one. Interesting. Another experiment took the idea further and applied it to the concept of the green feminine stereotype. That's in quotes. To product and brand selection. So you know products be like... Oh, we're green. Genderizing we're it. We're yeah. organic. Yeah. Or, okay, gotcha. To ladies. And yeah. then they don't do that. Okay. So male participants were exposed to one of two Walmart gift cards. One that used more feminine designs. Uh, so it had pink and flowers on it. Uh, selected to threaten masculine stereotypes. Or another gift card that was just a blue Walmart gift card. The men were asked to make a series of choices between green and non-green products to purchase. Men who men who were shown the gender threat gift card, cho- yeah, that's what they call it, the gender threat <laughs> gift card, chose non-green products than chose more non-green products than the men that had just the regular blue gift card. Interesting. Right. Uh, another one. A group worked with BMW to test two print ads for the same car. Exact same car, same color, same model, same everything. The only difference between the ads was that the word eco-friendly was replaced in one ad with a more masculine uh, Chinese word that means protection. What is it? Uh, Can you I, pronounce you, it? You want me to say it? I want you to try. No. Aww. I can't even read it because it's, it's, oh, it's in, in Chinese idiograms. <laughs> okay, gotcha. What they found was that men evaluated the protection option more positively than the eco-friendly option, even though it was the same fucking car. Oh, my gosh. It's the exact same car. I'm so annoyed. It's the same fucking car. <laughs> so uh, they've, like, determined beyond the shadow of a doubt that toxic masculinity will is bad for the earth. <laughs> Like most things. Cut that shit out. <laughs> if you could live a day without toxic masculinity. Oh my God. Like? I'd do so many things. What would you I'd be you? up all damn day. <laughs> I would because I, I would have so much shit to do. I just have so much to do. I would, I would start the day with a boxing class hmm. and I would end the day in a club wearing close to nothing. <laughs> It's funny how we both say being in a club close to nothing. I like being naked or close to it. And I like to be around without people bothering me. Yeah. And the people that be bothering me is not women. Yeah, because there's some times where you just feel like, damn, I look good today. If I I had, like, if I wanted to go outside in a crop top, I'd do it. Honestly. But men. For me, it would just be being outside at night. Yeah, just Without worrying about it. Without making little finger claws with your keys. (laughs) And on that note, we'll take a break. Hi, I'm Major Villegas, Artistic Director of the Latino Comedy Project. And I want to tell you about an incredible event. It's Star Wars, a May the 4th Cinco de Mayo comedy fiesta, in which I play Theo Juan Kenobi. And my name is Cindy Brio, and I play R2 Me Too. And I'm Barbara Mojica, and I play Princesa Leia Organa Cortez. As Star Wars answers the question, what if George Lucas had been Jorge Lucas? As Star Wars is opening May 3rd at the Ground Floor Theater in Austin, Texas. And you can get tickets at starwarscomedyfest.com. E-S-T-A-R-G-U-A-R-S comedyfest.com. <laughs> this is not your fanboy Star Wars. So get your tickets to the May the 4th Cinco de Mayo Comedy Fiesta at Star Wars. And may La Fuerza be with you. Hey. 
Hey, we're back, and oh. we're going to... Consumer Review! One of them is called In the Dark, and I just watched it last night with uh, my good friend Joe, and uh, we are flummoxed. Oh, I know Joe. Yeah. We were... We he be doing poetry. Um, <laughs> in the Dark... <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's a, <laughs> a mahogany project, May <laughs> or June. We don't know, but it'll be coming this summer. <laughs> uh, we watched the show In the Dark, which is a brand new pilot that aired on the CW, which I had been following for a while and was very interested to watch because it follows Murphy, a millennial woman who is very depressed, very drunk, and is absolutely sleeping around. Oh, and she's blind. Um, and there is like this scene where she was sleeping with a married man she knew he was married she was drinking beforehand and they were in his apartment they were stripping and she hears his wife come home Mm -hmm. so he tells her to hide again she's blind Um, so she can't she doesn't know where her cane is at she's like feeling around and she like hides she's trying to hide the best that she can and she hides under a table and then um, the lights come on and she's hiding under a glass table (laughs) and she's like this is a glass table isn't it and the wife is like yeah (laughs) Um, this show uh, also her friend gets murdered she believes her friend gets murdered, but because she's blind and the way it was shown to us, we don't know if her friend is murdered. Mm-hmm. He, she also didn't fill his face or the person's face, so she felt, or she did fill his face. She felt that it was her friend, but the way that it's told to us, we don't Not really sure. know. Um, I was very unexpected of the show because when I first read about it, I read that, oh, it's about um, a young woman who is blind, who happens to be blind, and is just living her life as anybody would be, who might be depressed, who might be drunk. And she she just happens to be blind. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is a great type of show for CW, because you don't really see people who have uh, disabilities in that manner just living their lives. You don't see people with disabilities having sex. Mm -hmm. You don't see them just being sad. You don't see that. You Mm -hmm. see people with disabilities overcoming their disability, and that's Mm -hmm. all their stories. And they're always just like a side character that the main character has to take care of (laughs) in order to achieve whatever the fuck it is they want to achieve, which is some bullshit anyway. It's a diversity hire, usually. Um, The one thing I want to add, Perry Matfield plays Murphy, and she's not a blind person herself, which I've spoke about in the past, where I would rather if someone's going to play someone with a disability, it should be someone with a disability because they can act too. Uh, we'll give credit that uh, she pulls from a lot of the writers on the show who happen to be blind and a lot of the actors on the show who are also blind and Lori Benson who's the show's consultant who is blind herself um, and is in the same age group so like uh, we're getting a semi mostly Mm -hmm. authentic experience but not to where it's a thing (laughs) Um, that's that poetry sorry I'm gonna (laughs) That's why we don't ever have studio, ever audience in the studio, because we can't trust them. Just kidding. You definitely called me up here before my spot. <laughs> Anyways, uh, one thing I did want to call out, when I was watching this with Joe, mm-hmm. they had a conversation about heightened sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And I had said this right before they had this conversation about heightened sensibilities, because the background noise, to me, was a lot louder than any, like, when like other shows. Oh, yeah. The background noise isn't that loud, so I immediately noticed it, mm-hmm. and Joe was like, why was that? And I was like, oh, because you know people who are blind blind, have heightened sensibilities then they talk about this shit on the show and they're like yeah that's like a microaggression that people say towards blind people and then i immediately felt bad but then i learned and i was like that's a thing that people Mm. are probably saying to them all the time they're like 
girl, that doesn't even happen. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, like, it was just interesting to, like, be caught in that moment and ca- catch something I'm saying that's mm-hmm. wrong and see it be, like, you know, educated on TV right in real time. Yeah. So this was a very interesting So It was tonally off. Because, like I said, I thought it was a lifestyle show uh, akin to that show that had Lucy Hell who had cancer that was on the CW. Just like, she's living her life. We're going to go along this journey with her. I didn't expect for a friend to be dead or them to, like, be investigating this shit. It just came, I was like, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. And it was all over the place. But I'm intrigued and I still want to watch. Uh, side note, Ben Stiller is one of the executive producers of this show. And then thinking about the dramatic roles that he's taken, I get where this tonal shift came from. Okay. I give the show a B. Okay. I'm interested to see where it goes. Okay. Uh, because if anything, I love seeing uh, people who aren't able-bodied get the opportunity to be regular mm-hmm. people, quote unquote, in the sense that yeah. we imagine regular people. Right. Yeah. Twilight Zone reboot. reboot. It was fantastic. <laughs> it's hosted, developed, and executive produced by Jordan Peele. And it's, if you've never seen The Twilight Zone, it's an anthological series mm. of really messed up shit. It's a remake of The Twilight Zone from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was ahead of its time. If you've never seen the pig face show, uh, where this girl, everybody else in society has a pig face, and she's absolutely beautiful, but she thinks she's ugly because everybody has pig faces. That's one of the most iconic moments of television in mm. my period. Uh, and again, it came out in the 50s, and it was way before its time. They released two two episodes on CBS All Access. The first uh, features Kamal Nanjani, who plays a comedian that realizes the people he jokes about in his set go missing, and it's so good and I so love him nuanced. So much. I immediately thought of you. Yeah. You will love this first episode. Like after I watched it, just the conversation about comedy and depression and what you talk about and what you can't talk about. What's funny? It was just very nuanced. Mm. And then the second episode features. Adam Scott. He's listening to a podcast. Also love Adam Scott. Yeah. He's listening to a podcast about how a plane he's on will suddenly disappear, but he's listening to the podcast about that, which it's a mind fuck in its own. A very final destination. Trump, he'll be smoking that shit. But he's also not the one who's writing this. True, but so, he'll be smoking that shit. Like, the people <laughs> that he's bringing on are brilliant. Mm. It's brilliantly shot, it's written well, and it's acted superbly. Uh, I give this show an A+. If you don't have CBS access, then it's on YouTube. Mm. So you can actually go watch it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I didn't even know it was on yet, so. Yeah. I, Just premiered last week. You know, I don't be paying attention to shit until six years after it's premiered. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we will go on to... Schoolyard Bullshit. Um, it is time for Schoolyard Bullshit. We have... 1.35 million people in the studio because that's what life is like right now and I'm so excited. Um, We're going to be doing something that we do all the time except we don't do it on microphones and it's called Brown Table. Ashley, will you explain the origins of Brown Table? So this actually comes from Joe who is one of the founding members of the Mahogany Project. He be doing poetry. Uh, he does. <laughs> you didn't see we've had like a commercial running for Love Jones way way a long time mm-hmm. ago before Jay and Joe put on their show. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Oh that rhymed. <laughs> um, brown Table is where we yell Brown Table much like shame or hello everybody listening to me. It's a derivative of Brown Table but we're all <laughs> and we ask a question and everybody's meant to answer and we say brown table because we're all brown yeah that's pretty much it cool so i'm just gonna ask two questions and we're all gonna answer it and you're gonna get to hear all of our voices because everybody's fantastic and i'm huge fans of all of them here we go uh brown table 
Brown Who was your very first celebrity crush and why? Bow wow. Because oh he's short. Like <laughs> 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 Little bow wow. You just don't know. The way you move so fast across the globe. Run through my mind like all the time. Okay. My first um, celebrity crush was Pharrell because his style, he was different from everyone. Mm. And he was just like so handsome and so brown. Okay. Okay, is this a judgment free zone? Absolutely. Okay. So, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed to say this. So, my first celebrity crush, and I want to say this, it's because of uh, the video put it on me. It was Ja Rule. Okay. Bitch, Jayla, I, 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 you nope. look at me like you're judging no, me. No, I am not. I do not feel no that judgment. Someone. Remember the put it on me video? I was like, I do I remember it. You, baby. I, feel you. I thought he was kind of sexy and mesmerized. I understand. Uh, I don't think he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just quite simple. Mario Lopez. <laughs> oh, AC Slater. I'm through with the uncut penis. <laughs> Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because Fresh Prince and other obvious reasons, and I feel like he married the wrong woman, but she's cool. So Who that's the right woman. Um, moi. <laughs> Unless Chadwick Boseman got something to say, at which point they can't switch. So I can't remember his name, but little light skinned boy that was on my cousin Skeeter and also Coach Carter with the light skinned one with the green eyes. He was also in that Showtime movie about like the brothel of the light skinned people. Was he on the Rashad? show with Flex and uh, Is it Rashad? Rashad? Yeah. Uh, oh, he was on the show with Flex Alexander. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, what's his name? Bitch. Robert Everybody Richard. got on Google. Robert, Robert Richard. Richard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's your crush? Girl, he, he was, was cute. He had a nice body. He was cute, girl. He yeah. could get the business. Every day, multiple times. I don't okay. know what he's doing now. Girl, still acting. And Probably having a bunch of kids like a damn gerbil. He's on a show, a Showtime show. I don't remember which one. Steady paycheck, bitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second round table, brown table. Brown table. I'm going to answer it first because it's weird and I want to give y'all time to think about it. What is... A thought that you have sometimes that you feel like other people don't have. For example, every time I see a really flashy car, like an orange Lamborghini or a yellow Camaro or something like that, I think that's really inappropriate for funerals. It's too celebratory. (laughs) (laughs) I have one. So I would never like buy something that's too celebratory that couldn't be in a funeral procession because that shit is awkward. And that's what I'd be thinking. Can you repeat the question one more time? What's something that you think about that you feel like other people don't think that shit? So for me, I like indulge in a lot of vampire lore, mm-hmm. whether it's Anne Rice or Charlene Harris, True Blood, Vampire Diaries, What Say You? 
all the white men that lead in all of these stories I'm talking about, whether it's Robert Pattinson or the guys who are in Vampire Diaries, I feel like their breath smells like garlic because of the way they talk. And I wonder <laughs> if other people feel this way as well. Okay. They just look like their breath smells bad. And, like, whenever they get close to their female co-stars and talk, they kind of inch away and I just started noticing this shit. And I don't know why it is, but for me, oh it would God. probably be garlic. And it's kind of ironic because vampires can't eat garlic. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I think that. I like it. I have one. So I think everyone that has a small upper lip is a bad kisser. <laughs> Where are they kissing? So that's a viable question. Like, I legit want to know <laughs> because I like if I kiss someone who has a small upper lip, I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, and I feel like I'm attacking your mouth. <laughs> that's a very good point. Oh my god. <laughs> You see, I did not bring race into this. <laughs> but we know who you're talking about. <laughs> I literally was like, because you know, anyone that was Well, mine is like uber random. Um, it comes from soap operas, since I grew up watching Young and the Restless. Mm-hmm. Um, Shout out to Victor. Right. <laughs> Shout out to our poor, um, poorly departed Christoph St. John. Mm-hmm. I always wondered, because on General Hospital and, and everything else, do they go to, like, soap opera speaking class? Because have you <laughs> noticed that, like, all the women, like, whenever there's, like, a, a super intense scene, they all have that whisper voice? Mm. Like, oh my god, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And it's like, everyone... <laughs> speaks like that and do the like and do they all wear the same shoes yeah. because they're like their heels all sound the same mm-hmm. even though they're in like different theoretical parts of the United States <laughs> in different climates in different time zones in different like houses some are on like cement some are on wood yeah. some are on like but just they regular sound. floor they all sound the same yeah random thought the click the clack click the clack <laughs> um the only thing that comes to mind, I guess, for me is, like, jewelry, like, looking mm-hmm. at people. Like, for me, I pick stuff based on, like, how I feel or, like, a vibe that I'm channeling. Mm-hmm. So, when I see people with, like, ugly shit on, I'm like, <laughs> what vibe were they, like, channeling or what made what made you pick that to mm-hmm. buy? Oh, where? I think for me, it's a random thought for me. It's like, you know, like, I'm so, I'm young, I'm single. I'd be wondering, like, what type of parent would I be if I had kids now? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, because I think, like, with my income and what I'm doing with my life, like, oh, my gosh, how do other people do it? And I'm like, what? how would I mm-hmm. be a parent right now? Just a random thought. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down. Shut up. <laughs> right. Ain't nobody got money for your clothes. <laughs> okay, that was it. I just wanted to ask a bunch of questions and then continue it later when the show ends. I thought there was three. Oh no, I just only read two. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what? You know, if people ask for us back, you know, my name is Joe from the Mahogany Project. He be writing poetry. Now she's going to cut this shit out. Hey, <laughs> your jewelry lady. Everybody right, got something to put up. I already thought you were going to cut this out. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to walk away. Yeah. Oh, my baby. Oh, I'm just going to walk away. <laughs> Let me stop getting on her. And now we'll go to break. Tired of wearing the same boring jewelry? Well, worry no more because Terry K Accessories has jewelry for all of your needs. Terry K Accessories is always fabulous, always fashionable, and always $5. That's right, folks, only $5 plus tax. With new styles added daily, you can shop anytime and look like a million bucks without breaking the bank. 
Find that perfect pop of color, fall in love with a new statement piece, or step out of your comfort zone and try one of the hottest trends of the season. The choice is yours. Visit www.shopterryk.com to shop her lead and nickel-free collection. Join the exclusive VIP Facebook group, Terry K Accessories, for prizes, deals, and more. Again, that's www.shopterryk.com. Join the Facebook group now and tell them Pretty Witty sent you. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Hello. <laughs> it's time for... For this week's Isms and Ogenies, it's an interview. Yeah. We've done this before. We had the wonderful Anisia Muller the first time we did. But this time, we have some wonderful people from the Latino Comedy Project who are going to tell us about their new show coming out May the 4th and 5th at Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I have to say it like that. Yeah. Star Wars. For sure. Oh, <laughs> and also take note of May the 4th. <laughs> like be with you and okay. may the fifth single tomorrow yeah <laughs> so check out the interview we have with them right now hi guys hi hi hello Hi. If you guys don't mind starting with Adrian, give us a small introduction of your character, your role in the Latino comedy project, and within a Star Wars itself. Uh, well, as far as the Latino comedy project goes, I'm the artistic director of it. I'm a founding member. The group has been around for t- two decades now. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and as far as the show, I'm the director, writer, and also uh, play a part in it. I actually play two parts in it. I play... Uh, uh, Dio Juan Kenobi and, uh, <laughs> and Jorge Lucas, the creator of the Star Wars universe. I love um, it. I love it. Yeah. So does that answer the question? I can't remember. You, did you ask me another question? No, that's perfect. Uh, Cindy, what about yourself? Was that me? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was you. <laughs> I was okay. like, damn, them two seconds are long. <laughs> technology, I technology you. bringing us together. <laughs> I heard that champagne going on back there. Uh, no, no, but I play the character R2 Me Too, a droid. And as far as Love Latino it. Comedy Project, I am very new to this. And so this is my first my first time around with Latino Comedy Project. I'm super excited. I was very humbled that um, Adrian asked me to be a part of this. And so I'm really looking forward to it. And Barbara, tell us about your character and your role in the Latino Comedy Project as well. Um, my character is Princesa Leia Organa Cortez. <laughs> 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 and this is also my first collaboration with the Latino Comedy Project. And I'm very excited. I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of this and to have this uh, role as Princesa. So. I'm also very excited, yes. (laughs) So one, before we get started, I want to thank you guys for coming on here. Uh, Especially in Austin, it's very important for people of color, uh, Latinx people, Black people in Austin, a city that has become very, very white, (laughs) to have these sorts of artistic (laughs) expressions because we just don't see them anymore. I mean, I mean, so long farewell, East Austin. (laughs) So um, we're very happy to have you guys. And we thank you for putting something on super creative, super funny. And I cannot wait to see the show. (laughs) 
Neither can we. <laughs> <laughs> so we're hard, we're hard at work trying to get to where we can actually see it ourselves. <clears throat> Adrian, first question for you: What inspired you to create a narrative that is both recognizable and fresh? Well, I'd seen a lot of mashups done in different shows uh, in town, and and a lot of times, you know, sometimes you get just inspired. You get inspired by things that are not so great as much as by things that are great sometimes. And I'd seen mashups that were like, you could tell the people who did them, uh, uh, they didn't really know what it was that they were they were paying, paying homage to. They really weren't fans or familiar with it. And it just made me go like, well, what would I do if I were to do something that was like, you know, a cultural mashup with something very popular? And and I grew up as this, I'm the first, I'm a first generation Star Wars kid. I was a kid that ran out in the street with my cousins, with some broomsticks, trying to do lightsaber duels at snow. <laughs> And yeah, so I mean, I, I I fell in love with Star Wars and stuff. So that's like a, a very near and dear thing to me. And I thought, well, that would be cool. But and I thought, well, how would you do that? I said, well, I guess he would do it where you would make it to where uh, George Lucas, if he were like a militant Chicano, mm. what would Star Wars look like? And uh, and then it just kind of small, snowballed from there. But I didn't really give it a lot of thought until uh, my partner in the LCP, Nick Walker, uh, he said that if you were to do a show like that, what would be cool is if you had it on the weekend of. May the 4th and Cinco de Mayo. Yes. <laughs> so when he said that, I just kind of, I was almost pissed. I was like, you motherfucker, now we have to do it. <laughs> so, so that's kind of, and then, so when that became a possibility, then I really started thinking about like, well, what would make the show worth doing? <clears throat> and I also knew that it would be, it would be one of those things that if you did it, there'd be a lot of people who were like me and my, you know, cult, you know, culturally and the pop culture background, all that stuff who would really appreciate it and be very excited about it. And I kind of tested the idea on different people at times when I was still deciding whether to pursue it and just threw the idea out there, Yola, Light Velas, <laughs> May the 4th, Cinco de Mayo Fiesta, and just threw that all out there and people would just light up. Yeah. And that kind of told me that, that we should do it. And, but then I had to ask myself like, well, what would make worth it? What would make it worth doing as a creative person? Like, and I had to answer a lot of other questions, which we can get into, but like, it had to be more than a parody. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it had to be much more than that. That wouldn't be enough for me to commit this kind of time to it. And uh, that uh, Cindy and Barbara can talk about that, too, because they carry the characters they play carry a lot of uh, kind of a dramatic weight in the show, which I think is going to surprise people. But, yeah, that was the that was the genesis of it. And and really, you should all think Nick Walker, uh, our token white boy. Yes. And he's one of my best friends of, of my lifetime. I mean, like he's been with the group since it began. And. And that was his inspiration. It's one of those things where, like, you know, the best ideas are the ones that you all, everybody goes, why didn't I think of that? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, and that was such a great, just brilliant suggestion about it from a marketing angle. And that was all Nick. So uh, that's where the, that was the genesis of it. And also, and then everything after that is just kind of pouring your own love of the things that you get excited by into it. You know, for me, that's politics, pop culture, Star Wars, comedy. Mm -hmm. So it's going to kind of, it, it has all those things in it. I love the caddy in the background. I know. <laughs> no, you can't hear that. Kitty agrees. He agrees. <laughs> Kitty says this shit's going to be awesome. Okay. Uh, so, Barbara, as Princessa, yeah. how much do you pull from Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia, and what different perspective do you hope to bring to that character? From Carrie Fisher, I. And. Her role as Princess Leia, I would 
I mean, I, I take, I, I mean, I watch her <laughs> and I see the leadership that she has, this presence and determination to get stuff done. You know, she's not waiting for anyone to rescue her and she's just so badass. And, um, Princess, Princessa Leia, she has a lot of that as well. You know, she, I want to give justice to, to the Princess Leia. And at the same time, I want to show, um, who she was and what she represented. And with Princessa, it's, I want to show the strength mm -hmm. that she has and, and what pushed her to have that strength now. And because I think that it's very real and raw. And also it's uh, something that we all have within ourselves. Oh. And I find it very inspiring. It makes me happy as a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should see her now. Before you started talking, she was just a normal adult woman. And uh, now she's like holding a balloon. Uh, it's kind of like that. <laughs> I can't wait to see it because it's kind of like that first scene in Wonder Woman where the, like, she's watching all of the... Um, Amazon's like mm -hmm. play, like practice yeah. fighting, yeah. and I love seeing strong female characters like that. And Carrie Fisher did that, but I like seeing it with a Latinx woman, just especially when you're battling something as make a galaxy great again. Which yeah. oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> all the meanings. That's a big theme of the show, actually. Like I think that's yeah. a huge theme about how uh, women are oftentimes the unsung leaders mm -hmm. and the ones who get things done. In movements, you know, that's kind of like a, a one of the subtexts of the show. Yes, preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I also based, I mean, originally it wasn't supposed to be Leo Organa Cortez, but because I've been working on it for a while. But then when I saw the, you know, the midterms and saw like mm -hmm. uh, Ocasio Cortez, uh -huh. it seemed like because uh, my whole thing about the midterms was like that was all women's, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, you really look at it; that was mostly women pushing that 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 pushback, you know. Uh, and the show was already about that, but it just kind of made it easier to, to underline by, by giving, um, giving that character, that name just kind of to symbolize that. But the, but the Yola character represents that too. And, um, and also the fact that there are no chosen ones in really in reality, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's groups of people, yeah. you know, cause those movies are very much based on prophecies of chosen ones. That's a mm -hmm. very patriarchal trope, I think, you know, but the great man, Preach, thing, but, theater uh, Jesus. And the, <laughs> <laughs> so the show kind of I mean believe it or not between the jokes we find time to comp comment on nice. this stuff too in the in the show. Absolutely. So Cindy, considering your character is based off of a robot that beeps for communication, what can we expect from your portrayal? <laughs> you know, I honestly like when when you ask that question I kind of laugh at first because I think okay, we're we're basing it, you know, ever so slightly off of like R2D2, mm -hmm. but there is so much more that you're going to hear from her. And mm -hmm. I think that what you can expect is to be surprised, Ooh. honestly, because her her character is basically represents an evolution, I think, of sorts. And Adrian has written this like super complex character where she's obviously a droid. So she's stoic, but then she has this super awesome like slice of humanity that that just kind of slices right through. And I think that you'll see how um, you know, what you learn about her backstory and, and how it informs the, the, her role in the world. And then also her relationships with the other characters will be a lot of fun. I love it. So it, it's going to be a treat. Mm -hmm. You know, what's really cool about that character though, is that it's, it's more now on the page than it was when I first started writing. Cause I kind of, 
So I think it was Nick that suggested the name R2 Me Too, and then he started going like, "Well, that's funny. What would that be?" And I was thinking about a droid that would basically go around like with all these tools and ways to like kind of set set men straight when they get out of line. Oh, like the Me Too movement. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> yes, that's why she's yes. called Me Too. Yeah, R2 Me Too. I need one and, of those, that and that's the joke. But then, but then, uh, I I'm said sorry, I need one of those at work. <laughs> Yes. Well, she's multi-purpose. I mean, in the show, she's multi-purpose, definitely. But, uh, but, but then when we were reading the, we're getting together. Finally, everybody was getting together to read the scripts, and Cindy had some questions or, or thoughts. She was just like, "Well, what would this character's backstory be?" And I wonder why she was even built. And that led to adding some some extra stuff that answered those questions, and it actually opened the door for her character to kind of be a receptacle for kind of trauma oh, herself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like she basically is carrying the memories of the person who created her, and so she doesn't Spoiler know her program doesn't know what. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, this is all. It's fine. It's fine. People are gonna, most of the people that, that that come are gonna have forgotten anything we're talking about. Mostly but, from um, all the drinking. But <laughs> yes, but yes, no, but but uh, but it's but you know it's a funny character. Uh, there's like some almost slapsticky elements to some of it, but then there's also like this undercurrent of reality there that uh like cindy said humanizes the uh, what would normally be just kind of a stoic mm -hmm. droid and uh and that came from conversations that that we had and uh it's been really cool that way it's been collaborative i've i've, I've added a few different uh elements to the show because of the specific actors that I, I asked to be involved you know and it's been nothing but beneficial and it feels like a, a full story you know it helps it feel like a full story awesome and not just mm -hmm. a parody you know mm-hmm uh so from what i've seen the story uh, of what we'll see in may will be influenced by the politics of today including the actions taken by the administration um, <laughs> what do you yeah. what do you want audiences to take away from the show when they think about today's politics today's rhetoric uh actions by trump his staff his supporters all that jazz i want to hear what barbara and Cindy have to say about that but all i can tell you is um <laughs> Uh, it, the people forget that the Star Wars movies were based mm. on real history. Mm. He's basically was just recreating the history of democracies and the fall of democracies and the rise of of like uh, mm -hmm. dictatorships in a, in space. You know the Roman Empire. I mean democracies. You know different places. Um, and it was so he used the he modeled those stories on real historical events. This show just is kind of recasting all that to comment on the history we are living in right now mm. you know uh so i i'd like i'd like to think that um and also it's very easy when you're surrounded by propaganda to forget who the real mm -hmm. bad guys are <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and star wars makes it very clear who the bad guys are because of what their actions are and by what their actions the effects their actions have on the society they're in or the people that are that are targeted and vulnerable populations those it's not hard to figure that out in those movies and so by recasting what you know by cutting through the propaganda and recasting it in this kind of morality play format, which the Star Wars movies are, uh, at least the original trilogy is, um, it, it, I think it's going to allow people to, uh, to look a little bit more clearly at what the moment we're living in, you know, because the way that we're treating immigrants, for instance, is not anything really that much different than the beginnings of, of fascism in any yeah. other part of history, so right? Sure. Uh, yeah, so that's part, of, that's part of the show, and that's also part of the Star Wars movies, like, that's one of the the things of the of the backstory of uh, those movies is that the emperor actually, if you go, if you're really a deep geek, you know that the emperor used prejudices against certain alien 
groups in the galaxy to to rise to power too. He stoked those prejudices, you know. So it's it's a it's a very clear corollary, mm -hmm. really, you know. Mm -hmm. And and well, I'm really think, glad, Cindy and Barbara. Well, I was going to say that I'm I'm I really loved your answer, Adrian, because I I thought very similarly, but in, in I guess in a more kind of um, you know like a micro level, I when I think about this show, obviously you know we have these big these examples of these horrendous things that are happening right now but the reality is it's it's just what has been happening for millennia you know this is the way that humans have been treating other humans and it's it's sad and i think for me um i think that it it presents a great opportunity for the viewer for the audience to hopefully walk away and to think to think about mm -hmm. their role in mm -hmm. creating you know trauma for other individuals and i think you know we are both incredibly strong and yet very fragile as humans. And so I think that we need to take a step back and to think about our actions. And sure, there are going to be like bad guys out there that we can kind of point to and say, well, you know, look at this, this horrendous act that this person has committed. But the reality is, is that on any given day, we can make decisions that put someone in harm's way as well. And so I, I think line, for me. There's a line in the show. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think for me, you know, the idea is, is that we can all walk away and take the time to examine our motivations and our prejudices and our, you know, warped ways of thinking and how we treat one mm -hmm. another. There's a line in the show where Luke asked uh, Theo Wan, like, how did the emperor get power? And he said, he goes, did he like, did he like, uh, I forgot what he said, but he, he was, did he, did he do this or that? He's like, no, nobody, they just gave it to him. <laughs> And yes, there's only one. He's like, there's just there's only one. There's only one power in the in the in the galaxy that can that can rival La Fuerza. And he's like, what? Pendejismo. People being people being dumbasses, you know. <laughs> and that's that's the masses. That's not individual bad guys. That's like the mm -hmm. masses of people who do make those wrong decisions. They empower these horrible things to happen, like Cindy says. And that's like that is important to remember. Absolutely. So from that, I want to ask yeah. everyone. So a Star Wars looks like it'll be a great celebration of Chicanx, Latinx culture. What are some specific ways you all feel this telling of the story reflects the culture? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'll let y'all take that first. I guess I'll answer. I'll guess I'll answer since I interjected with the laugh there. <laughs> but, um, man, I'll tell you what, this one's kind of hard to like put into words because it just brings me so much joy. And I think it's the idea of, um, the way that the Latino culture, like so many families in the Latino culture, we just kind of rib on each other. You know, we just play with each other. Um, we have so much fun. We kind of make fun of each other and yet it's totally allowable and excusable and, and hilarious. I mean, to me, I think about like my dad and I think about you know, when he grew up and, and they had nicknames for everybody, um, mm -hmm. crazy nicknames. And I'm like, how do they get away with this? You know, because other families would not experience this. And then I also think about like when we're all sitting around the table and, you know, we can call each other like pendejo or cabrona and we laugh about it. Like, it's not offensive. It's almost like to me, it's this this, this weird like, yeah. oh, I'm loved. You know, it's it's so weird <laughs> to describe. But so when I think about that whole Latino culture and the comedy, I just I just think about kind of that freedom to play with each other, to mess with each other and to know that you're still there. You know, you've got each other's backs. Yeah. You love each other. 
but then you can basically rib the shit out of each other too. I love it. That's what I think of. What do you think, Barbara? Yeah, I agree with Cindy. I think that I, I mean, I it's just so much because um, as as I mean, I'm as a first. I mean, I was born in Mexico and I grew up like with. I'm like the I'm the seventh of eight children, and so there was just like no getting away from being picked on. And I mean, I knew that's how my my siblings show their love, you know. And like I never took it like, oh my gosh, they hate me, they want to kill me. No, that's just how they love me, and I I I don't resent them. Like that's just how I was, and it's it's so funny and and kind of sad, but at the same time, it's like, oh no, like I know you'll always be there for me because you're you're my sibling, you know, you're my brother, you're my sister. But that's that's just how it is. Yeah, we're we're, we're tough. <laughs> that's 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 interesting because I was gonna say that it's I, I feel like the culture there's a lot of cultural references in the show, like the space chancla, for instance, uh, the star destroyer that's shaped like a chancla. All, all Latinos know what's up with that. Uh, and nobody and nothing is more. <laughs> than chancla. I immediately uh, gravitated towards you because of that. But I think. But I think it's. I think. Right. I think it's more, I think it's mostly embodied in the characters though, because the characters' personalities are so familiar and archetypal from our communities. Like, you know, and the, and the way that the humor plays out between characters in the show is very, can be very blunt at times and, and kind of shameless. But there's also moments where the show comes down to show the, 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 well, like in the original, in the, in, in the original Star Wars, you fell in love with those characters because they cared about each other, you know? Um, they were rooting for each other in those, in that story. And, and there's that element uh, of warmth in the show too. But, uh, but the humor is very, you know, like Yola, for instance, that was ba That's based on my grandma. Oh, that's really cool. Character, um, who is, yeah. And <laughs> visually she's based on my grandma too. Like, uh, so yeah, I, there's a joke in the show where like the, the puppet, the Yola puppet is actually taller than the, the, the woman it was based on, you know? Um, but, uh, that character is like very, uh, cantankerous and, and has a great sense of humor and speaks the truth and very directly and stuff. And that's my grandmother, you know, and I think a lot of people will, will know that person from their own family. So the, there's a lot of Latino uh, uh, or Latinx uh, references in the show and there's a Spanglish and there's all those things, but I think it's more embodied mostly in the, the, the humans, uh, the human care, the human personalities uh, where people go like, Oh mm -hmm. yeah, that I have a deal like that. Or, Oh yes, my abuela's like that. Or, Mm -hmm. My uncle messes with me like that or, or, you know, I, I get cut short like that when I'm around my family and they start laughing. I mean, all those things. So, um, it's an interesting, it's been, it's been really interesting to write it because it was very difficult to try to, um, stitch all those things together. Like it's partly a parody of Star Wars. It's also like some funny Latino characters and it's also a political commentary, but it's all seeming to gel. And this cast is so up to it. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. We were just working on something. Last night, uh, seeing Barbara was in with another actress, Laura Galan Wells, and um, it's one of the more like serious scenes in the show. There's a there are a few scenes. It is very funny from beginning to end, but we want to give the audience like a full blown entertainment experience. So there's going to be some emotional stuff in it. And they were working on that scene, mm -hmm. and I was like, it was the first time we worked on it, and I was like blown away by how one you know one of the <laughs> one of the women who was there, uh, Thelma, was like saying, "I'm I'm over here crying, yeah. like just watching them rehearse this part." <laughs> Because the family separation, oh, there's wow. a family separation okay. subplot in it. Which well. is going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to surprise people. Well, but the thing is, it's, it's, it's the cool thing yeah. is if you can get away right, with balancing right. those tones in a show, you know, 
And uh, I think it will. I mean, we'll, we'll know better as we go, but I think those tones will work out. And it, and there's also the way of knowing that you, you hit one tone and then you can get out of it by doing this other thing and switch the audience around and stuff like that. So it's, but it's, it, that's what makes it worth doing. That's the stuff that made it to where I wanted to try to do it because that's, that's challenging to do. And it's really rewarding when you can do it. The audience will walk out feeling very, like they really, really, uh, got their money's worth and they really went through an, on a journey emotionally with the show. They were laughing and then they were like kind of moved and then they were happy. And then they, you know, so that's what we're going for. <laughs> and that is also very well, Latino. <laughs> <laughs> going through, going through all those emotions. I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> uh, tonal fluctuation because when I think of that, I think of the show that I'm familiar with you with, which is Gentrifucked. And it's a fantastic show. I was right. so happy to have been able to see it, especially in a city like Austin. <laughs> I, I'm wondering uh, what, yes. why does Austin need a Star Wars? Or is it just because it's the place that we're at right now? Is it, is there anything Austin specific you want to mention about the show that's coming up? Well, first, well let me ask you a question first. What were the, to what were the total well, for me, it's just a, a matter that. of loving the city, but also understanding the very racial divides the city provides when you're discussing like places like East Austin that's absolutely ripped apart because of gentrification. And um, I thought you guys portrayed that well, mm -hmm. because I do love Texas. I do love Austin, but I also have to, you know. Uh, center myself with the fact that this city is losing people of color faster than any other city and it's growing to an enormous rate so people can't even live here if they've lived here all their lives <laughs> um i thought the show brought nuance and comedy to a thing right. that i feel very near and dear to and i feel like you put things in words that i couldn't really put in words myself in a comedic manner so i thought that was very needed at the time when I saw it and uh, I was laughing. And, yeah. And you're laughing and, the whole time. Too, and, like until no, I had it, got home yeah. and like thought about what I was laughing about. <laughs> it was like one of those things I took with me. I, right. I, I, I thought it was needed for mm -hmm. people who are gentrifiers to see. Um, is there any commentary on a star Wars doing the same in your opinion? It's, it's, let me tell you something though. It's funny you said that about Gentrify because some, somebody told me they heard a guy come out of the show, this white dude come out of that show, and they heard him. He was saying, like, that was a great show. I think they were talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> and he was right. Um, but yeah, as far as, as Star Wars, uh, the political commentary, I think, is very, uh, important for any, for, in any way, uh, in any regard. But, uh, as far as this, the, the intent behind the show, the overall intent, I think, um, like just the idea of having something that kind of acknowledges and celebrates yeah. uh, geeks of color <laughs> and the existence of that, you know, we, we you own this stuff too, right. you know, and this is, yes. And this is a big acknowledgement and a celebration of that. Of, and the saying like, we're going to recast this in our own image because, you know, Lucas borrowed from every mm -hmm. culture on the planet to make star Wars. I mean, part of it is Japanese movies. Part of it is spaghetti Westerns. Part of it is, uh, world history. Part of it is literally uh, uh, Adalitas from the Mexican Revolution. Leia's, uh, uh, Carrie Fisher's uh, bun hairstyle in the first movie was based mm -hmm. on some of those uh, indigenous uh, uh, mm. fighters from the Mexican Revolution, you know? So he he took pieces from everywhere, and this is just a way of kind of 
recasting it with some of our own, informing it with our own, uh, the things that are important to us uh, as a community. But it still is something that's kind of owned and celebrated. I mean, Star Wars is something that is, we every, all of us have a part of it. You know what I mean? All of us are. It's, and it's something that kind of unifies people, too. But I also think it's important to show that uh, to have like brown and black and uh, Asian or whatever uh, nerds and geeks who love this stuff. And that it means a lot to us, too, to be able to come out and celebrate something that's specifically uh, geared from that from a different uh, perspective. You know, it's not just a white fanboy no, perspective. Which I'm we deal with in that. I want to actually say that I, uh, my mom is a huge Lord of the Rings and Star Wars fan. And she never talked about it because she was yeah. like oh you're not i'm i'm latina and you're not supposed to talk about those things it's not cute it's not cool and so i told her about this show and i described yola to her right. she was like that sounds like grandma <laughs> <laughs> Whenever the show comes around, she's actually my date for this because she's really excited to see it. <laughs> oh, good. Exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, but that yeah. was her generation. Yeah. Things have changed a lot since then, right? Yeah. So that that is another reason for this to exist. And hopefully if it's successful this first time out, we'll be able to do it sure. every year because there's a May 4th and 5th on the calendar every year. Mm -hmm. And it can become a hub for that kind of congregation to happen. And of course it's not exclusive and everybody's welcome, but I think it's, uh, it's always nice to have, uh, something you can call your own. You know, it's always nice to have that. And, uh, and also the, all of the different things that are being commented on through the show in a way that's very familiar because it follows that kind of the archetypal structure of, of, uh, mm -hmm. of the movies that everybody knows they are almost, they're modern myths. I mean, it's like even people who don't know, have never seen a Star Wars movie kind of the story. I have never seen it. Wow. Maybe your own people. Shots fired. Not entirely true. We'll talk about this later, Adrian. You wanna take you wanna take that question? No, no, no one is judging you right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, but those people exist. Those people exist. And I don't think it's like a, I, I've talked to, I've talked to people like that. And I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, and it's always weird. I always wonder what the reason is. Cause I think, yeah, Star Wars yeah. one of those things you could I think like the first time I saw, you know, um, so. all of the ones that were out of the time, out at the time, my uh, third grade teacher like canceled whatever we were supposed to be doing that day. And we just watched them all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, you know that's the other that's the other cool thing about star wars in this show which is what something i was kind of counting on because you know you do calculations in your head like yeah. is it going to be commercially worth it to do it and stuff and i think this i mean how many how many generations right. three. i mean yeah three, so three, much at least so many boomers whatever the hell between boomers uh, and millennials are called and millennials <laughs> <laughs> and you know proof of proof of that has been that when as soon as we started really promoting yeah. the show a few weeks ago like a couple of weeks ago um we sold out the a show like we were over a month so out from the show we've already sold one out yeah the may 4th 8 p.m show sold out already and and we had to add a late show and that one's already starting to sell tickets. So that's, uh, so there was a, there was a, there's a, there was a desire for the show. And we haven't even really done the full publicity yet. I mean, uh, 
this is like stuff like this. Oh, oh, wow, you awesome. guys, we haven't even really done any of this stuff yet. That's going to follow throughout the month. So y'all are the first Excellent. podcasting thing we've done. I, I re- in fact, <laughs> Ashley was the first person I reached out to. I was like, oh, I, I remember. I remember how supportive That's you were. Awesome. Yeah, about yeah. It. The more public you go, the more you're going to sell out like Hamilton, sure. and the next thing you know, you'll be doing this in like New York City. So what we're, what we're really saying is, we were like red seat tickets. <laughs> not since, <laughs> not since the producers. Yeah, I don't even have to do anything. Like, yeah. No, we'll just be we'll just be happy if we. I don't even have to like be in, be in a special seat. That? I can just like sweep during intermission as long as I can go. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna set up those boxes, those boxes that rumble and stuff, and except they uh they move they move to Selena music. Look, we'll be happy if this just is yeah. successful and that people show up to most of the shows. It'll be a mission. It'll be mission accomplished and we'll be happy and we can start thinking about doing another one yeah. later, but that's kind of what we're all working toward. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. As a, as we'll members there, of the, you know? the Latino comedy project, what are some ways you hope to influence others and, and how can other people get involved if they, if they're interested in getting involved? Uh, they can re- email us at LCP at LCP.org. Uh, and uh, we've actually, it's been interesting because it's weird. The show, has been like a magnet in a way more than any other show we've done because we've had people reach out, uh, just say, Hey, how can we help? Or, you know, I, is there any way I could be involved in this and help out? Like it's, it's been interesting. The, the, the effect it's had. So we already had a few people just reach out to want to like, uh, intern or volunteer and do all these things. So we're always open to that and we will definitely find stuff for you to help with. And, um, Uh, as far as the, 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 the purpose, I, you know, I always feel like, I've always felt like the power of a good, of a good example is, uh, immeasurable, you know, just showing that something can be done that maybe hadn't been done before. Yeah. So, uh, that's what this show is going to be. It's going to show like, oh, something like this can exist and it can be done well and it, it can have its own voice and you can, you know, you can actually say something, uh, significant through what, you know, what might be, what could be seen on the surface is just like a, uh, a spoof. And, uh, and you can put all these really great, talented people of color in it and everybody can shine and everybody comes out of it, you know, with something they didn't have before <laughs> and experience and paid <laughs> not to mention. So, I mean, like, so like, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that to me is valuable enough to try to come. Cindy that, Barra, you know? do you guys have any comment on that? Well, you know, I'm actually pretty new to the local theater community. And so I, I honestly didn't, it, it was beyond my, my thinking if there was something like this. And so it's been really amazing to be a part of it and to see that there is a special place for, for people to find art being made by Latinos. Um, you know, I'm also, a, you know, not to detract or anything, but I'm also a part of a, of a troupe that is, that is Latinx as well. And it's been so much fun, like uh, filling this niche that has been underserved mm-hmm. for apparently a long time. And I, I just think it's it's I, I just think it's a great opportunity to also allow other people that are not Latinos to, you know, to enjoy these productions as well, because there is so much to be to be experienced from it. You know, it's not just for a Latino audience. So I, I just think that it just expands 
you know, our understanding, our cross-cultural understanding. So I'm excited about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll brag for Cindy if, if she won't, but the part, the thing she's talking about is uh, is where I saw her for the first time, her and Laura, uh, both uh, a show called Escandalo, an improv, an improvised telenovela. <laughs> mm -hmm. Improvised Eddie, telenovela. That sounds Eddie, like my just, life. It was just as fun as it sounds. Yes. <laughs> Yes. That's going to be the name of my memoir. <laughs> Ashley Robinson, an improvised oh, telenovela. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to edit that out at the last name. Yeah, that's, really what awesome. oh, that's what the front of your obituary is going to say. <laughs> Please make sure of that. Thank you. <laughs> that show was really successful, too. They did like two months of it, uh, and people showed up. New audiences showed up at, at the hideout who never shown up there before. And people brought okay. people brought other people back to the show to see another version of it. Mm -hmm. So they they were accomplishing that mission that that Cindy's talking about, and and it, I loved it. I mean, the show I saw uh, is the reason they're in this show because I was like that energy they brought in, and it was also very uh, Latinx Latino energy. I mean, it was very it's very specific. It's just like mm -hmm. you can't you can't uh, fake it, you know. And and people really responded great to it, and. Um, so we're all on the same page with the same mission. Uh, and I'm really, and I, I say this all the time to them. I mean, I try to say this to people that I work with who I appreciate all the time, but I feel really lucky to be working with all these people. Like um, a lot of people on the show are people I've never worked with before, but they're people who I really respected already their work and as, as and as people uh, like Barbara, I saw in Infrascadas a, a couple of years ago and, and she was so, she played like two different parts. She was so amazing. And then when I got to know her a little bit better, I, I gained even more respect for her as a person. And I thought, I said, that's the kind of people I want to, I want to work with people who I know are really talented, but even more importantly, they're really great people, you know, and, uh, and so that you can form a family without too much dysfunction, if you can mm -hmm. avoid it. Um, and that's what's happening right now through the show too. That's another benefit of it. Yeah. We're kind of forming a, a second Latinx family. Um, I, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's all, it's all cool. And we hope that that kind of translates over to the audience when they show up, you know, that, that energy and that, that warmth oh, I love it. that we all kind of are forming for each awesome. other. Awesome. Um, thank you guys so much for being on the show and for talking about this. It's so exciting. We can't wait to see it. It's going to be fantastic. I already know. Like, thank you guys so much. Yes. I can't wait to hear the trails. Um, <laughs> I mean, for, for like, for me, it's Harry Potter, yes, but for like you. a lot of people, it's Star Wars. Yeah. So like to have this type of portrayal is going to be amazing. For sure. It's going to be the best. Um, can you guys like go ahead and plug your social media, all the places that people can you. find you uh, and things like that? Cindy, why don't you plug a scandal? Oh, okay. You want me to talk about a scandal? Okay. We're, um, you know, it's well, kind of yeah, tell you people where they can me. follow y'all. <clears throat> so, oh man, you know what? I'll tell you, Laura is our, our uh, media specialist. And so she's got all the names perfectly and I don't, but, um, on Facebook, you can just do a search <laughs> oh. for a scandalo improvised telenovela and find us there. And, um, and I can tell you too, that we've got two shows coming up at the end of May. One is on the 25th with the working title, I believe, is the People of Color Co Comedy Fest um, on mm -hmm. the 25th. And we're going to be one of the uh, the highlighted shows, I believe, there. So that's going to be really exciting. And with yeah. Vanessa, which I was emceeing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so um, 
as well, we're going to have a show on the 31st, Escondalo Presents, and that will also be at the Hideout Theater. So you can find that information as well uh, at okay. Hideout's Hideout website, which is like hideouttheater.com. I love the Hideout so much. <laughs> more there. The best place in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you really should you really should see them if you get the chance to go see their show it's great yes yes i mean we've gone down to san antonio a few times and i mean there we're going to be doing some more we're going to be doing some more it's a whole heck of a lot of fun and uh it, it really has been a it really has been fun to see like the different people that come out to the show and just love it like you would not even expect it um I, can i just say really quickly we had this grandpa that came to our show in san antonio didn't speak english our show is 90 about 96 percent english with just some spanish thrown in there and he sat and talked with us for like 10 That's minutes so about cool. he was just like raving about the show and just laughing wow. and it was it was I amazing it. so yeah i'm just gonna yeah, plug right there. Yeah, i feel like you have to say it <laughs> Bobby, you got anything to plug um <laughs> uh no i i um i mean you can find uh, uh you can find me on facebook <laughs> <laughs> uh under a star wars um i don't um i don't really plan ahead on doing any shows i i like to take it easy and uh and like to you know um yeah just kind of take it slow and see how things go after that and and really i'm really interested in shows that that I can connect to and that will be fun to do. Um, I, you know, I, I, I we all have full-time jobs and I, I have, I have three boys, so I, I don't want to be away from them so much. And um, so I really want to, I, I don't just go audition for, for things that I, that I, as much as, I guess as much as I should, <laughs> because I should get out there more. And I just don't. Um, I've been really lucky to to find people like Adrian that just he he did happen to see the show and and that's how uh we met. And then he told me about this project and, and it hey. was, just sounded so fun. So I I'm here. <laughs> you know the cool thing about the cool thing about Barbara when I first saw her mm -hmm. was that she had so much. She was funny at times, but she had so much weight to her. Like she just was like grounded and believable. And I thought, man, if I if I could get somebody like that to play this mm -hmm. part. And and make them believe, you know, her as a leader and that she's got this strength and it was like, and she's totally got it. It's been, it's cool. I mean, it's been cool to know who you're going to have play stuff because you write for them, you know, uh, you picture them doing things. And I, and Barbara was a, a really inspirational to figuring mm -hmm. out how that character was going to be in the show. Cause she is a very powerful character, but very vulnerable too. Like she's very empathetic, which is something you should never lose, you know, uh, as a person anyway so as far as uh, the, uh let me let me make this note because laura keeps reminding me to let people know this and she's not wrong as star wars is in mm -hmm. mostly in english with some spanglish thrown in like a scandal usually is too mm -hmm. uh because yeah. these white people will be like oh my OMFG. god I don't know I yeah. <laughs> even though all the advertising is in english and all the videos are in english yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean because she told me like two people asked her uh you know if it was going to be in spanish or if they'd be able to understand it like, right. and even so you know, have you seen I, star wars like, do you know the plot i'm pretty English. sure you can follow it everything, everything even if it was wasn't <laughs> yeah yeah i want to thank hair. all three of you for coming Slapping on the show and just giving us your time and your wisdom about this great project that is so unique yet so relatable 
And um, it's really exciting for like, particularly for someone who is a fan of nerd culture and not seeing themselves reflected in it Mm -hmm. uh, to see something like this come about uh, in a very nuanced way. So we want to thank you guys. We want to encourage those of you listening to buy tickets because this is coming up soon and you don't want to miss it. And uh, we hope that Star Wars is sold out in two weeks. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, it was awesome. There were some really fun people. I love things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you have any final thoughts? <sighs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. this is just because we're talking. We were talking about nerddom. Um, I'm really concerned about this Black Widow movie because uh i went back well i'm always going back and watching old marvel comics movies but i think in certain ways they alluded to and gave nods to the comics in terms of natasha's relationships with cap and with tony but they also completely glazed over them Mm. so I think that if you didn't like read Widow's comics, you wouldn't necessarily know that during the Civil War era, like, Cap was still in love with her, but she was down with Tony because they were doing whatever they were doing, right? But, like, it sort of comes through, but not in any sort of meaningful way. Yeah. So, I... I I feel like there are going to be elements, no matter what they do, of this movie that are going to be missing, um, I mean, I mean, and they can remove themselves from that time period, but following the arc that re- wouldn't really make sense. I just, I'm wondering what they're going to do. I feel like they didn't think this through enough and I'm super concerned that it's not going to be as good as it could be. And I feel like people that haven't like read Black Widow don't get how amazing this could be. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm worried already. Full professional opinion, Mm -hmm. this is too little too late. Yeah. And unfortunately, her story... Her story is unique enough to where we should have heard it. Already! Um, It should have come in the first phase. The problem is her story is not unique enough that we haven't heard it. Like, we have heard it. Yeah. And so... (laughs) If they had done it when they were supposed to, we wouldn't have heard it yet. Um, even that, we would have heard it, but it would have been put in a way that was cemented within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unfortunately, MCU has is doing something that we've never seen before, right? Mm. The problem is that they have waited too long to do this movie. That if it's thrown in, it's going to be absolutely a situation where it's like Nagini is a witch. <laughs> so I mean, like, and they that's had this it, fucking that's relationship it, with the Hulk come out of nowhere. Right. It's just garbage. That's like, what I it just, feels like to me. It feels like something that's thrown in that you're just adding in now so that way you can get more dollars and more coins and say that you did this thing and you're not being, you're not being, like, tr- you're not being... True to the character. True to the character or to the story that it's part of. Because there's, I don't, I mean, like, all of the amazing shit that she did is not going to be... I don't know. Whatever. This feels I feel like feels, I am her and she yeah. is me and I am pissed off. And it feels cheap because when this comes out, most likely it's going to be the second female-led film for Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe. And now you're going to have this huge martyrs thing. I'm sure it's going to be great when it comes out. I'm sure they're going to come up with a story that's going to be great to canon. But it's not going to be a story that's part of the comics and it's not going to be a story that's yeah. true to the nature of what we And they're just going to make some shit up. And now, like, now Stan <laughs> is dead. So, like... I don't know. Like, 
I'm gonna wait for you, friend. I'm so fucking sad. <laughs> and I felt you felt this way when Suicide Squid is gone. Suicide Squid, <laughs> <laughs> just black ink everywhere. Everywhere. Um, you you felt this way for me when Suicide yeah. Squad came out, even though like Margot Robbie did a great job with she her did. character, but it was cheap. It yeah. was it wasn't authentic. They could have done more with it, and that's how I feel for this because yeah. I'm like, you could have done a so, so you could much. have done so much better. And then now you've waited past its prime, and what now? And you swept over all of this shit that was happening at the time that it was happening, and now what is this even going to be about? The fuck? Yikes. Anyway, we'll so see. yeah, I'm sad, but we'll see. And I'm still gonna I'm still gonna watch it because c- come on. But you know, whatever. I'll be right there. Thanks. You're welcome. Shazam comes out this weekend. <sighs> okay. <laughs> uh, on that note, to you guys we say cheers. <laughs>